Your Nam is the pain remover. This is the Bhajan Dukkha Bhajan Teranamji on page 173. Meditate day and night, eight watches. This is the knowledge of the perfect Satguru. The within in which Parabrahm dwells <coughs> is the beautiful place. If you sing the qualities of God with your tongue, the stones of Yama will not come near you. With my understanding, I don't know how to serve you, nor do I know the ways of worship. The life of the world has your support. O my Agam Deep Satguru, when God becomes gracious, all the worries and problems go away. The hot wind does not affect as Satguru himself protects. The master is God and the gracious one is the guru. And master is the true creator. When the master is pleased, one gets all the things. Nanak sacrifices himself on such a one. Your Nam is the pain remover. Bhajan of Guru Arjun Dev on page 173. <laughs> Oh, 
Bhajan is on page 187. <coughs> oh, my giver, listen to my plea. After hearing, accept my plea. I make this request. Listen to my prayers. Listen to my prayers. May I not forget you ever. Take me to the shore, O oh giver. Take me to the shore. This honorless soul does not listen to the Bani. She does not listen to the Bani. She has become homeless. She is in your shelter, O giver. She is in your shelter. The negative power has laid the traps. <coughs> he has laid the traps. The heart is terrified. Without you, who can remove the pain? O oh, giver, without you, who can remove the pain? Becoming gracious, listen to my condition, Kripalji. Give me the treasure of Nam and make me rich. Servant Ajay, praise, O oh, giver. Servant Ajay, praise. O oh, my giver, listen to my plea. After hearing, accept my plea. By Jan of Sanchi on page one eighty seven. Mera data ji suno benati. Mera data ji suno Karomana jura sunake benati Mere data ji suno benati Mere data 
रे दाता तेरे बिना दुखे को नारे मेरे दाता जी सुनो बेनती मेरे दाता जी सुनो Last week we were speaking of the essential nature of the universe being paradox, which is the worldview that the path and similar spiritual movements is played out against. And we talked some about what the Masters have said about that. I want to read... Um, sh- we started by reading a letter from Sawan Singh, and I want to reread a part of that, not the whole thing, but... <coughs> in which he gets to the essential. Now, there are two ways of looking at this creation. One, from the top, looking down, the Creator's point of view, two, from the bottom looking up, man's point of view. From the top, it looks as though the Creator is all in all. He is the only doer, and the individual seems like a puppet tossed right and left by the wire puller. There seems to be no free will in the individual, 
and therefore no responsibility on his shoulder. It is his play. There is no why or wherefore. All the saints, when they look from the top, describe the creation as his manifestation. They see him working everywhere. Now, looking from below, or the individual viewpoint, we come across variety as opposed to oneness. Everybody appears to be working with a will and is influenced by and is influencing others with whom he comes in contact. The individual thinks he is the doer and thereby becomes responsible for his actions and their consequences. All the actions are recorded in his mind and memory and cause likes and dislikes which keep him pinned down to the material, astral, or mental spheres according to his actions in an earlier life in the cycle of transmigration. The individual in these regions cannot help doing actions and having done them cannot escape their influences. The individual acts as the doer and therefore bears the consequences of his actions. As stated above, the observations differ on account of the difference in the angle of vision. Both are right. One, the individual, <coughs> excuse me, clothed in coarse material form, sees only the external material forms. His sight does not go deeper than that. If he were to rise up to Sans del Camo, the same individual would see the mind actuating all forms. The form would be secondary only. Mind would be the prime mover in all. Three, the same individual from Daswandwar will see the spirit current working everywhere and will see how the mind gets power from the spirit. Four, from Sachkhand, the whole creation looks like bubbles forming and disappearing in the spiritual ocean. The paradox, of course, comes with this comment, the observations differ on account of the difference in the angle of vision. Both are right. And this is when we look at the universe the way the Master does, we run into the paradox head on. It is, I used to think, and I used to say, that the difference between the Master and us is that the Master sees from the point of view of God. And he does. But it now seems to me very clear that the role of the Master, the function of the Master, the, what, the reason why the Master is necessary is because he sees both at once. He sees from the divine point of view, and he sees from the human point of view. He is connected with both intimately, and he knows what they imply. He is able to speak to someone um, and 
emphasize whatever he particularly wants to emphasize uh, based on the needs of that someone. The the pulling of the, well, I should say the um, shifting of the angle of vision, it seems to me, is the main thing that the path is about. In other words, this is what the Master is doing with us, is showing us how to do that. Uh, by way of the various practices that he gives us and by virtue of being present with us because being in the company of someone who can do this of course makes it easier for us to do it to some extent um, we are shown the master's point of view just by being in his presence which is a very great thing. And I think in terms of darshan, you know, in terms of what the Master gives us by coming down among us, is um, is largely that. The psychological value of it, or the way it works, is that. It's We can understand it, I think, a bit if we realize, and here I, I have to admit that I have just seen a very fascinating and quite extraordinary movie about all this stuff uh, from both a scientific and a mystical point of view. But the latest um, discoveries in quantum physics, for anyone who knows what they might be, um, which I know only basically what I've been told, is very much along these lines. We create our reality. We create it by choosing what we look at, because what we look at can be seen any one of a number of ways. And it's like, in the same way as if you paint a painting, and you paint a scene, but you put a frame around the scene, and that makes the painting different looking at the painting is a different experience than standing on the place where the painter stood and looking at what he saw. The frame makes the difference. It selects out what we choose to make important. Similarly, when we take a photograph, we aim the camera in a certain way, we leave out a great many things, uh, I mean, an enormous percentage of the world is left out of any one picture. Only a very teeny part of the world. Um, and that becomes then, you know, what we have of that moment becomes like that. Same with a movie. We watch a movie and it seems as though we are watching reality. If If a person, a naive observer, where to watch a movie, the common sense um, conclusion as to what is going on is that those people are really doing what they seem to be doing. Yeah, talking, having problems, getting angry at each other, running, all sorts of things, dancing. And uh, it would seem to any naive observer, and I don't use the word naive pejoratively, but it's... Um, 
the way we all are when we look at stuff beyond what we actually are able to do. If <coughs> we pull the camera back a bit, we see, um, I mean, pulling it back to any extent alters what we see because the scene gets bigger and bigger and a lot of movies will use that. But if we pull it back far enough, we suddenly see that our common sense viewpoint isn't up to it because all of a sudden we see the director, we see the scene people, all the thousands of people whose names are on the credits. They're all running around doing things, directing lights, having this happen, that happen. And what is going on in the actual way the camera is aimed is an extremely small part of the whole. But it's the part that is all when we're watching it as a finished product. And Plato, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Plato used this image because he didn't have the technology of the movie camera, but he used the same image all the same in his famous allegory of the cave, where um, when people are chained up and are set in such a way that they have to look at what is going on in front of them from a particular point of view, they cannot change that, and then the, the shadows that they see projected on the wall in front of them are seem to them to be what's important. That's what they're looking at, and that's what counts. And so they, you know, make uh, stories about those shadows. They argue amongst themselves about what the shadows mean. They um, have all kinds of baggage that they load onto the shadows, and they don't have the slightest idea what's going on because the shadows are actually behind them in the same way that a movie projector is. And um, what is going on has nothing to do with, from the point of view of the people making the shadows, has nothing to do with what the people in the audience are seeing. So it's a very, um, it has a lot of authenticity, that particular image. And I think that um, the fact that we create our own reality is part of both the problem and the solution. Um, we are very attached to the way in which we have always seen things. And, you know, in the, in the quantum physics world, the idea is that um, the observer creates what is observed. Actually, Sawan Singh's description of the way the world looks from the top down and also uh, the bubbles rising and falling is very comparable to what is um, what a quantum physicist will see. And it has exactly the same kind of, there seems to be no rhyme or reason, no purpose. It's just all over the place. And what we, we construct out of these building blocks, an image, a story that is ours, and it coincides to a very great extent with other people's, but there are always places where it doesn't coincide. And that is what is called Maya, the story that we create in order to make sense out of a un the universe 
is what the masters mean and the yogis too by using the word maya. Maya is a measuring stick and uh, I mean that's where the word comes from in Sanskrit and it's the way by which we can measure the world. It's our way of getting a handle on it, of putting a frame on it if you like. But it is not all that there is and this is really what the Master come to tell us and show us. And when they, you know, we all have stories, or have heard stories anyway, of things the Master has done that have revolutionized the thought pattern of the disciple to quote the crown of life. Um, you know, sometimes you think that he comes to do that. Because the problem is that when we construct our image of the path, when the further or the, the less we have of the master's point of view in it, the easier it is to make a story that is just like all the other stories. And we are no longer doing anything. We think we're awake. We think we are moving in the right direction. And we are, in fact, back in the same grooves going round and round because it's very comfortable. And I've always been troubled by this in myself. I've mainly observed it in myself, that this is what I tend to do. And it's something like, you know, if you have a dream and you dream you wake up, um, it really seems like you're awake. But then, of course, if you refuse to get up because you're already awake, you run into trouble. It's um, something like that, I think. Anyway, the, a lot of the Master's teaching uh, really hinges on this view of the universe. It's extremely basic. Um, many, many things that they say either build on this or take it for granted or explain it. And almost everything that they do puts it in action. The problem is that we cannot conceive of more than we can conceive. And that seems to be common sense, but in terms of how we look at things, we don't allow for it. Master Kripal says in prayer, the secret of success lies in direct prayer and appeal to the power within. He has just made a point that it's a good thing to pray to God, but it's a great mistake if we think he's anywhere outside of us. He is the very soul of our soul and is ever working within and without us, and we, in fact, live and have our very being in him. We do a great injustice both to him and to ourselves when we think of God residing on snow-capped mountains or under the depths of sacred rivers and water springs or in temples and mosques or in churches and synagogues or in this or that holy place. Limited as we are in time, space, and causation, we try to limit the limitless within the narrow grooves that imagination can conceive of. Such belief on our part and consequent frustrations 
that result therefrom not infrequently tend to make us skeptical of him. In other words, with our construct of the path, the story that we have made up, um, which explains the master, the path, God, whatever we use it for, to us, when that comes in conflict with a larger reality relating to the same thing, the usual reaction is to doubt. Because we think that our particular construct is absolute truth. Which is not to say, and we, are, we know that we have an obligation to be true to our own selves. But that's really the point. You know, if we are true to our own selves, capital S, which is when the Master says that at the end of the initiation instructions, this is what he means, to go deeper than the constructs that we have made, to find what is there so that we can be true to it. Um, if we don't do that, then we're not, well, as Jesus said, we're building our houses on sand. Um, if we do do it, though, It's absolutely astonishing what can happen. And I will repeat that one of the things the Master comes to do, maybe the main thing that he comes to do, is to both show us, do for us, and teach us how to do it for ourselves, precisely this, to shift the frame, change the angle of vision so that we are not seeing things according to the particular measuring rod that we have manufactured for ourselves. For example, this is a story I've often read. Master Kripal is writing about his master, Baba Salan Singh, and he's writing about the partition days in India, uh, where Hindus and Muslims massacred each other and Sikhs also with great glee for the most part. Uh, anyone who has seen the film on Gandhi's life will recognize the last third of the film or so is all about this. Um, if you think about it, you see that this kind of thing, this assumption that God wants us to kill our brothers and sisters in Him and take away their life because they're not good enough, or they're not like us, or they are um, somehow or other polluting the world, which is a viewpoint a lot of people have had, including uh, atheists as well as uh, neo-pagans like Hitler, and people from all religions, too, have felt this way. Certainly the people in India at this time did. It's as though we we are riveted to seeing from a certain point of view and we cannot get past that. But if we can get past it, then amazing things can happen. And this is what Master says. No religion permits the immolation of women or the killing of persons. But alas, what man has done with man is too scandalous to be put on record. 
After the partition of this country, the people in the name of religion polluted the chastity of women and killed hundreds of thousands of innocent persons. If all this gruesome and ghastly dance of death cannot serve to open our eyes, we cannot possibly mend ourselves. If we had a grain of feeling in us, we ought to hang our heads in shame. There are, however, a few awakened souls among us, but these are very rare, and such rendered valuable yeoman service in those most trying and troubled times. I would like to relate a couple of instances of Hazur in those days. Hazur was physically ailing. That's, of course, Baba Salensing. This was the last year of his life, and it has often been thought that the events of that year uh, hastened his departure. In fact, Sanchi uh, indicated that, I think, on more than one occasion. Hazur was physically ailing, for the body alone is subject to diseases, and the great souls very often vicariously take upon themselves the people's burden of karmic action. During partition days, when passions were running high, some Muslims came to Hazur for protection. He lovingly kept them in the Dera. In September 1947, Hazur planned to go to Amritsar. When I went to see him with the hope of accompanying him to Amritsar, Hazur bade me remain at Dera and look after the comforts of the Dera people and the Muslims according to the exigencies at the moment. And of course, the Muslims were refugees. They were leaving uh, what was going to be India to get into what was going to be Pakistan and uh to escape from the murderous activities of um, non-Muslims. It was also happening the other way around, too. A Muslim caravan was to leave that day for Pakistan. Azur therefore, enjoined me to es escort the Muslims of the Dera to that caravan. It so happened that a torrential downpour of rain came on that day. Hazur felt a deep agony and said, Our Muslim brethren are in a very poor plight, but we have no sympathy for them in our heart. As Hazur started for Amritsar, he saw a huge crowd of Muslims near Bayas railway station. A Jamadar, a soldier, was in the car with him, and in spite of his protests, Hazur ordered the car to be taken right to the Muslim horde and pulled it up just in their midst, because they were obviously not Muslims, you see, being in Sikh form. And it was the Sikhs who were the enemy, so it seemed. He called for the leader of the Muslim caravan and with tears in his eyes said, I have in the Dara a few Muslim brethren and would very much like to see them safely escorted across the border. Such, indeed, are the acts of high-souled saints. His heart was full of compassion and pity for the suffering humanity. In the evening, a truckload of Muslims prepared to join the evacuees on the march when all of a sudden I heard the news that a band of armed Akalis, which are fundamentalist Sikhs, basically, uh, who had opposed Master Salen Singh consistently, 
throughout the 30s and 40s, but kind of died out after that. I'm not sure why. A band of armed Akalis had gathered near Dera and intended to raid it and massacre the Muslims. All alone I went to them, full of confidence in Hazur's munificence and greatness. A few of the Akalis with spears and spades blocked my way. I said to them, these helpless brethren have come to Hazur for protection. It behooves the Khalsas, the true Sikhs, to extend the protection that they seek. The spirit of the Khalsa requires, no, demands, that those who seek mercy must be given mercy. You had better hug them to your bosom. Hearing these words, a couple of aged Akalis came forward and said, You have this day saved the Halsas from what would otherwise have been a great sacrilege and heinous crime of taking away the life of so many of these poor souls. We shall not now touch a hair of these people. All of this transformation from a bloodthirsty mood to that of sympathy and fellow feeling came through the grace of Hazur. As the truck was about to pass by the Akalis, I stopped it and said, These brethren of ours are today quitting their hearths and homes, not because of any hatred toward us, but are being driven to it by sheer necessity. We have all these years been living together in peace and concord. Will it not be good if we bid goodbye to them with loving embraces? This touched them to the core. In an instant, I found the two, Akalis and Muslims, hugging each other. as an all-embracing love for the entire humanity and is not torn by sectional and communal love. It is said, O man of wisdom, Moses, thou art sent to knit people unto me, God, and not to lead my people away from me. And that's a quote from Malana Rumi uh, in the Masnavi is where this story is from, which Master knew backwards and forwards, uh, and he had learnt Persian in order to read it the way Rumi wrote it. Once a shepherd boy leading his goats to pasture in a meadow sat under a tree and lovingly began to commune with God in this wise. Oh God, I wish that both of us should live side by side. I shall not make thee discomfortable. Shouldst thou fall ill, I shall attend thee day and night. Shouldst thou get tired, I shall massage thy hands and feet. I shall bring thee barley bread and spinach to eat and give thee goat's fresh milk to drink. I shall pick up lice from thy hair and give thee a hair wash with milk and curd. The shepherd boy was deeply absorbed in these thoughts when the prophet Moses passed that way. He shouted at the boy and said, O fool, why art thou blaspheming? God is altogether unlike thee and shall not eat thy barley bread and spinach, nor shall he ever fall ill or get lice in his head. The boy was stunned to hear this and began to tingle in every nerve and inquired, Perhaps I'm wrong. I ought not to have talked like this. Will the great God be annoyed with me? With these thoughts within him, he began to cry. 
As he sobbed, he felt comforted and in harmony with the higher power. In that blissful state, he had a vision of God. The celestial visitant consoled him with the words, I shall accept all thy offerings, for I am well pleased with thee. In the meanwhile, Moses, having reached the heights of Mount Sinai, sat in meditation and felt within him the voice of God, saying, O Moses, I am thoroughly annoyed with thee. Thou art guilty of breaking the heart of that shepherd boy who is communing with me with all love and affection. The prophet was surprised and said, O God, his words were not of love but were blasphemous. The great God replied, Thou knowest that the world of that boy contained nothing else but barley bread, spinach, goat's milk, and lice. I gave thee wisdom, and hadst thou utilized it, thou wouldst not have spoken like this. I sent thee into the world that thou mayest knit me to those who are separated from me, and not that thou shouldst rend asunder loving hearts that are one with me. And underlying this whole series of events, well, underlying the story, is, of course, what Moses, and Moses here stands in for all of us at this particular point, any one of us who might react that way sometime. What Moses didn't realize is that his conception of God was just as erroneous from God's point of view as the shepherd voice. And that's what we never realize. We see the flaws in somebody else's construct, in their story, their frame, the way they're aiming at the world. It's very easy for us to see flaws in other people's. But we do not see that we are doing the same thing ourselves. We think that what we do is objective. That is truth. And it is very hard to get past that. To the degree that we get past it, I think that is the degree to which we are spiritually advanced. And there really is no other criterion because this business of maya, this business of seeing what is there through a construct of our own making and understanding it only in those terms is the thing that we have to get past. Now, there's another aspect of that story, too. I mentioned last week that I've been thinking a lot about failure and its uses. Now, notice, um, for one thing, I've noticed that a great many stories in spiritual literature, including the Bible, uh, in fact, it occurs so often in the Bible that I call it the biblical story, but it's in uh, all kinds of writing, and it's actually spiritual writing, and it's actually demonstrated in that story. Um, And that is that a person thinks everything is just dandy, and they're going along, and then uh, they lose it. Uh, They think that they are, or they seem to be to themselves to be, either a failure or a victim. And when they do that, um, they, they lose everything they had, they drop down very, very far, and they're at the at the bottom of the pit. Um, if you know the story of Joseph, both in the Bible and the Quran, 
is, is you know, um, perhaps the most obvious example. The story of Job, though, is the same. Uh, and for that matter, there, without the crucifixion, there is no resurrection. I mean, one has to be part of the other. So that um, when they are raised, by going down and hitting bottom, as Milarepa's teacher Marpa said to him, uh, you know, it was necessary, his karma was very heavy, it was necessary that you be plunged nine times into the uttermost pit of despair uh, in order for you to be able to become what is your destiny to be. And he did. And he did become that. He became much more than he had been. But the shepherd boy considered that he was a failure. I mean, he accepted Moses' construct. I mean, he had his own frame, the shepherd boy, his own way of relating to God, which was based on his experience. It was how he saw things. Moses, who had a different frame and a different set of uh, data that he was built his frame around um, had a had a different thing. The two collided, and because Moses was probably very convincing, um, and the boy, as Master used to say, had probably had an inferiority complex. Um, he totally believed Moses and considered that he was an abject failure, and that God was displeased with him. But of course, he wasn't. We know that he wasn't, and he found out that he wasn't too when God came to him. But until that time, he did. He thought he was a failure. His understanding of what had happened is that he had made a terrible mistake and blasphemed because God's prophet had told him that. He had every right to think that. We would also think that. Not only that, but we do also think it. And whenever anybody lays their particular framework on ours and we have we don't trust ourselves you know we don't trust our ability to reach God by the means that we have at our disposal the images that are available to us if we don't trust that then we allow other people to dictate how we ought to be relating to God or the master and uh, we get into the position that the shepherd boy is in. I think that it, in, it has become my view after many years of experience of these things, failing and thinking I failed and, and uh, realizing differently and then doing it again and so forth and so on. Um, it does seem to me now that just as there is no resurrection without crucifixion, in the overall ultimate scheme of things, the reverse is also true. There is no crucifixion without resurrection. And that this is the other side of the coin of deep despair. Is that it, the way the two work together, if we could look from Master's point of view and see both at once, then we would be, we would not have a problem with it. But we can't. But we can develop it.
That's what the path is about. That's what Simran is for. Simran replaces a construct of our own, which may be very nice, but it keeps us going round and round in illusion. Simran comes into our our construct and shifts it. It shifts the framework. It shifts what is being looked at. And when it does that, it also brings about the change in being that it's supposed to bring about. But the problem is with this, and this is why I think um, one of the reasons anyway that the Master is so specific about not telling our experiences to others is because until we reach a certain point, I don't necessarily know where that point is, but at some point we are probably able to remember our experiences in a way that does them justice. But until we reach that point, we cannot. What we have are those experiences within as pushed through and focused through our framework so that we are looking at what Master is giving us from the same point of view that we look at everything else. And when it comes out of our mouth under these conditions, it becomes ludicrous, and nobody is convinced by it. It's, it is not something that will can reach other people. And the effort to do that rivets us more and more into the very construct or frame that we are trying to get out of. The more we force anything we have been given that transcends that into that, the harder it gets to get out of it, which is why our progress stops, as Master told us many times. Is also, I, I do believe too, and I've had experience with this also, that um, it is extremely difficult to remember anything that happens within with any degree of accuracy. It may be possible. Some people may be able to do it more than others. But um, I don't think it's very simple. And yet we think we're doing that. We think that we know exactly what's important and what happened within and that we should, um, it's up to us to convey that to others. So these are things, I think this also explains, I mean, many of us, you know, when we come to the Master, when we come to the Master, it's like all the people who come to any given Master come because he has a particular way of reaching those people. They come usually, hopefully, because they love him, and because he reaches them. It's like Samhain Singh says that um, in order for the Satguru to be loved, he must be lovable, which means, I mean, obviously the Satguru is by definition lovable, but the point is that he won't seem that way to everybody. 
And I've certainly met people uh, who responded to both Kerpel and Ajayb, uh with negative feelings and feelings of um, that they didn't get it. What other people got, they didn't get. But they didn't stay around much. When a master leaves the body, all of this is like it's thrown up into the air. And in order for people to find out where they are supposed to be, where their inmost being is propelling them, there is a certain amount of chaos. And it does appear that the master looks at this condition differently than we do. He has different criteria. I, you know, from my own experience talking with Sanchi back in the beginning of his mission, and things that he said later, and things that he has written, as well as things that Kripal has said and written, I do believe that what the Master cares about after he leaves us is not who we follow or who we don't follow, but how we treat each other. And this, we go way back to the Gospel of John and Jesus laying emphasis on this, um, which Master quoted in How I Met My Master. He quoted that very section on and on and on in Washington in 1964. I do believe that what seems to us to be major in many, many things is not what the Master cares about. If you walk with the Master, hear him respond to things, he never does what you think he's going to do. Um, it's, I mean, people have made jokes about that. You know, you never know what he's going to do or say. And it's because he's looking with a different angle of vision than we are. He has basically God's construct, but he also is aware of where we are too, or he couldn't reach us, you see. So I think that if everybody respects everybody, loves everybody, assumes that other people know what is best for them, and and assume hope that they assume the same about us, that we will be pleasing the Master. And I don't think it's necessary for everybody to do exactly the same thing or to understand his mission as carried on in different ways. I do feel that that is of the utmost importance. The uh, final thing that I want to say is I've told this story many times, but it has a great deal to do with point of view. And it also deals with Moses. He's in a more positive light in the story, which is from the Bible. And it is said, and I know many of you will find this familiar, um, and so I tend to tell stories over and over again. Uh, Moses was up on the mountain. This is in the book of Exodus, uh, chapters, I think, 22, chapter 22, uh, something like that. The Ten Commandments have been given. Moses is up on the mountain, and he requests God to let him see him. And God says, well, nobody can see my face. Although other parts, uh, in another section in the same book in the Bible, um, God refers to Moses as seeing him face to face. 
and um, the Bible is very inconsistent on, in both Old and New Testaments on that score. But anyway, no one can see my face, but I will let you see my backside. And you know, most people um, reading this in their Bible really don't know what to make of it. God has a backside. What's going on here? And uh, but the story takes it very seriously, and it says that God appeared before Moses, who's standing on the side of the mountain in a cleft in a rock, and Moses sees him from behind. Well, that story was explained to me by a Hasidic rabbi who is steeped in the esoteric Jewish tradition that is understood in that tradition in this way, that when you stand behind somebody, you are looking over their shoulder. You are seeing, in other words, what they see the way they see it. And that's what God showed him. The vision of God was to be able to see as God sees. And I submit that this is what the Master is offering to all of us. And that, you know, the whole purpose of Simran, of loving each other, of treating each other with respect, all of that is based on enabling us to see from God's point of view. That is what it's all about. We won't lose. I mean, as Samhain Singh said, both are right. It isn't that we lose our own. It's just that we see them together. And we see that both are right. Okay, I do want to play a tape. I talk longer than I had planned. But um, this is the final... Sanchi's final talk at Sant Bani Ashram in July 1996. Uh, last week we heard his final talk in America that year, which he gave at Acton, um, about the story about the um, um, the villagers and the master who kept telling them to be in the will of God and everything went wrong. Uh, I mean, they thought, you know, that bad things were happening to them. They had every reason to think so. And then when the king went by and left them alone, they were infinitely better off than anybody in any neighboring village because um, most of them were dead. And if they weren't, they were slaves and everything was lost. So we don't always, we're not always able to tell these things is the point, of course. Uh, this talk, which... Um, I call, and it is called, it's listed this way, The Pages of Our Heart. It's incredibly beautiful talk, um, which Sanchi gave, intermingled um, with a number of bhajans, which are also extremely beautifully sung by Papu and Grumeo. It's just a, I like to listen to it in the car. You know, it's, it's the most wonderful talk to hear that way because of the way that you get the message via the word, then you get it via the music, uh, and it's in small doses, it goes back and forth. Anyway, uh, that's the tape that we're going to hear, and this was given on Samhain Singh's birthday, July 27th, 1996. 
right down on the playing field. And I'll mention, by the way, that I did attend children's satsang uh, during the retreat last week and saw this um, story acted out very convincingly. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. ਸਾਵਣ ਪਰਪਾਲ ਦੇ ਚਰਨਾਂ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਨਮਸਕਾਰ ਹੈ ਜਿਨ੍ਹਾਂ ਨੇ ਗਰੀਬ ਆਤਮਾ ਤੇ ਰਹਿਮ ਕੀਤਾ ਆਪਦਾ ਜਸ ਕਰਨ ਦਾ ਮੌਕਾ ਦਿੱਤਾ ਹੈ ਸੈਲੂਟੇਸ਼ਨਸ ਅਨ ਟੂ ਦ ਫੀਟ ਆਫ ਸੁਪਰੀਮ ਫਾਦਰ ਲਾਰਡ ਆਲਮਾਈਟੀ ਸਾਵਣ ਐਂਡ ਕਿਰਪਾਲ ਹੂ ਹੈਵ ਹੈਡ ਮਰਸੀ ਔਨ ਦ ਪੂਰ ਸੋਲਸ ਐਂਡ ਹੈਵ ਗਿਵਨ ਦ ਅਪਰਚੁਨਿਟੀਜ਼ ਟੂ ਸਿੰਗ ਦ ਪ੍ਰੇਜ਼ਸ ਮੈਂ ਕਈ ਦਿਨ ਤੋਂ ਕਈ ਮਹਾਤਮਾ ਦੀ ਬਾਣੀਆਂ ਤੇ ਸਤਸੰਗ ਕੀਤੇ ਹੈ ਮੈਂ ਰੋਜ਼ ਹੀ ਦੱਸਦਾ ਹਾਂ ਕਿ ਸੰਤਾਂ ਦੀਆਂ ਬਾਣੀਆਂ ਵਿਚਾਰ ਜੋਗ ਹੈ ਇੱਕ ਇੱਕ ਲਫ਼ਜ਼ ਕਰੋੜਾਂ ਰੁਪਏ ਦਾ ਹੈ ਸੱਚ ਤਾਂ ਇਹ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਜਿਸ ਲਫ਼ਜ਼ਾਂ ਨੇ ਸਾਡੀ ਜ਼ਿੰਦਗੀ ਪਲਟ ਕੇ ਰੱਖ ਦੇਣੀ ਹੈ ਜ਼ਿੰਦਗੀ ਬਣਾ ਦੇਣੀ ਹੈ ਜੋ ਕਣ ਕਣ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਪ੍ਰਮਾਤਮਾ ਵਿਆਪਕ ਹੈ ਉਸ ਨਾਲ ਮਿਲਣ ਵਾਸਤੇ ਪ੍ਰੇਰਣਾ ਦੇਣੀ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਬਾਣੀ ਦਾ ਕੀ ਮੁੱਲ ਹੋ ਸਕਦਾ ਹੈ ਫਾਰ ਦ ਪਾਸਟ ਸੋ ਮੈਨੀ ਡੇਜ਼ ਆਈ ਹੈਡ ਬੀਨ ਕਮੈਂਟਿੰਗ ਅਪਾਨ ਦ ਰਾਈਟਿੰਗਸ ਆਫ ਵੇਰੀਅਸ ਮਹਾਤਮਾਸ ਦ ਵਰਡਸ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਹਾਤਮਾਸ ਆਰ ਵੈਰੀ ਪ੍ਰੈਸ਼ੀਅਸ ਬਿਕੋਜ਼ ਦੇ ਆਰ ਦ ਵਰਡਸ ਦੇ ਆਰ ਥੇਰ ਇਜ਼ ਅ ਥਿੰਗ ਵਿਚ ਵਿਲ ਟਰਨ ਆਵਰ ਲਾਈਫ ਸੋ ਦ ਥਿੰਗ ਵਿਚ ਇਜ਼ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਟੂ ਚੇਂਜ ਆਵਰ ਲਾਈਫ ਦ ਥਿੰਗ ਵਿਚ ਵਿਲ ਮੇਕ ਆਵਰ ਲਾਈਫ ਵਾਟ ਕੈਨ ਬੀ ਦ ਵੈਲਿਊ ਵਾਟ ਕੈਨ ਬੀ ਦ ਪ੍ਰਾਈਸ ਆਫ ਸਚ ਆਫ ਦ ਵਰਡਸ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਹਾਤਮਾ ਸੰਤਾ ਮਹਾਤਮਾ ਦੀ ਬਾਣੀ ਮਨ ਬੁੱਧੀ ਦੇ ਲੈਵਲ ਤੋਂ ਨਹੀਂ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਵੀ ਇਹ ਉਹਨਾਂ ਦਾ ਜਾਤੀ ਤਜਰਬਾ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਆਤਮਾ ਦੀ ਗਹਿਰਾਈ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚੋਂ ਬਾਣੀ ਆਉਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਦ ਬਾਣੀ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਹਾਤਮਾਸ ਐਂਡ ਦ ਸੇਂਟਸ ਇਜ਼ ਨਾਟ ਫ্রম ਦ ਲੈਵਲ ਆਫ ਦ ਮਾਈਂਡ ਐਂਡ ਇੰਟੈਲੈਕਟ ਇਟ ਕਮਸ ਫ্রম ਦ ਡੈਪਥ ਆਫ ਦੇਅਰ ਸੋਲ ਬਿਕੋਜ਼ ਇਟ ਇਜ਼ ਦੇਅਰ ਪਰਸਨਲ ਐਕਸਪੀਰੀਅੰਸ ਇਹ ਉਹਨਾਂ ਪਵਿੱਤਰ ਹਿਰਦਿਆਂ ਦੀ ਅੰਦਰੋਂ ਕਲਪਣਾ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਜਿਹੜੇ ਬਿਲਕੁਲ ਵਿਸ਼ੇ ਬਕਾਰਾਂ ਤੋਂ ਉੱਪਰ ਉੱਠ ਖੜੇ ਹੁੰਦੇ ਹੈ ਮਨ ਇੰਦਰੀਆਂ ਦੀ ਗੁਲਾਮੀ ਤੋਂ ਆਜ਼ਾਦ ਹੋ ਚੁੱਕੇ ਹੁੰਦੇ ਹੈ ਪ੍ਰਭੂ ਹੀ ਉਹਨਾਂ ਦੇ ਅੰਦਰ ਘਰ ਕਰ ਚੁੱਕਿਆ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਜੋ ਕਲਪਣਾ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਪ੍ਰਭੂ ਦੀ ਤਰਫੋਂ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਪ੍ਰਭੂ ਦੇ ਹੁਕਮ ਮੁਤਾਬਕ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਇਟ ਇਜ਼ ਦ ਕ੍ਰੀਏਸ਼ਨ ਇਟ ਇਜ਼ ਦ ਐਂਗਾਇਰੀ ਵਿਚ ਕਮਸ ਆਊਟ ਫ্রম ਥੈਟ ਪਿਓਰ ਹਾਰਟ ਵੇਅਰ ਨੋ ਪੈਸ਼ਨ ਹੈਜ਼ ਐਵਰ ਗੋਨ ਥੋਸ ਹੈਵ ਰੀਜ਼ਨ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਦ ਪੈਸ਼ਨ ਵਾਟਐਵਰ ਦੇ ਥਿੰਕ ਵਾਟਐਵਰ ਦੇ are anxious of it is always for god almighty and only for going back to the home of god so these words the words of the bani of the mahatmas come from that pure and holy heart santan di bani jo likhi hundi hai shabd likhe hunde hai oh har yug de vich har time de utte sahi tukde hai guru nanak ne keha si jaisi main aava khasam ki bani taisda kari gyan ve lalo koi mere vas di kheed nahi ਲਾਲੋ ਉਹਨਾਂ ਦਾ ਸਿੱਖ ਸੀ ਉਸ ਨੂੰ ਕਹਿਣ ਲੱਗੇ ਜੋ ਪਰਮਾਤਮਾ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਅੰਦਰੋਂ ਹੁਕਮ ਦਿੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਮੈਂ ਉਹੀ ਕਲਪਣਾ ਉਹੀ ਬਾਣੀ ਅੱਗੇ ਉਚਾਰ ਦਿੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਦੀ ਬਾਣੀ ਔਰ ਦੀ ਸ਼ਬਦ ਆਫ ਦਾ ਮਾਸਟਰਸ ਆਰ ਅਫੈਕਟਿਵ ਐਂਡ ਦੇ ਆਰ ਟਰੂ ਇਨ ਏਵਰੀ ਟਾਈਮ ਇਨ ਏਵਰੀ ਏਜ ਗੁਰੂ ਨਾਨਕ ਸਾਹਿਬ ਸੇਸ ਦੈਟ ਓ ਲਾਲੋ ਵਾਟਐਵਰ ਕਮਸ ਫ੍ਰਮ ਦਾ ਵਿਦ ਇਨ ਆਈ ਅਟਰ ਓਨਲੀ ਦੈਟ ਬਾਣੀ ਲਾਲੋ ਵਾਸ ਦਾ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਆਫ ਗੁਰੂ ਨਾਨਕ ਦੇਵ ਜੀ he said that i am not doing it myself whatever is coming from god almighty whatever is coming from my within i am uttering only those words pyare guru aur sikh 
ਸ਼ਿਸ਼ ਦਾ ਜੋ ਰਿਸ਼ਤਾ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਇਹ ਬੜਾ ਗੂੜਾ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਇਸ ਰਿਸ਼ਤੇ ਦੀ ਸਮਝ ਉਸ ਵਕਤ ਆਉਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਜਦੋਂ ਅਸੀਂ ਆਪ ਦੀ ਆਤਮਾ ਨੂੰ ਨੌ ਦੁਆਰਿਆਂ ਚੋਂ ਸਿਮਰਨ ਦੇ ਜਰੀਏ ਤੀਸਰੇ ਤਲ ਤੇ ਲੈ ਜਾਂਦੇ ਹਾਂ ਤੋ ਸੋਖਸ਼ਮ ਤਿੰਨੇ ਪਰਦੇ ਲਾ ਕੇ ਪਾਰ ਬ੍ਰਹਮ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਪਹੁੰਚ ਜਾਂਦੇ ਹਾਂ ਬਲਕਿ ਇਸੇ ਵੀ ਜਦੋਂ ਉੱਪਰ ਉੱਠ ਖੜਦੇ ਹਾਂ ਫਿਰ ਸਾਨੂੰ ਸਮਝ ਆਉਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਗੁਰੂ ਔਰ ਸਿੱਖ ਦਾ ਕਿੰਨਾ ਰਿਸ਼ਤਾ ਗੂੜਾ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਕਿੰਨਾ ਪਿਆਰਾ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਫਿਰ ਪਤਾ ਲੱਗਦਾ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਸੱਚਮੁੱਚ ਅਗਰ ਕੋਈ ਪਰਾਈ ਅਗ ਵਿੱਚ ਸੜਨ ਵਾਲਾ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਸਿਰਫ ਇਹੀ ਗੁਰੂ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਡੀਅਰ ਵਨਸ ਦਾ ਰਿਲੇਸ਼ਨਸ਼ਿਪ ਬਿਟਵੀਨ ਦਾ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਐਂਡ ਦਾ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਇਜ਼ ਵੈਰੀ ਡੀਪ ਐਂਡ ਵੀ ਕਮ ਟੂ ਨੋ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਇਟਸ ਡੈਪਥ ਵੀ ਕਮ ਟੂ ਨੋ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਇਟ ਓਨਲੀ ਵੈਨ ਵੀ ਰਾਈਜ਼ ਅਬਵ ਦਾ ਨਾਈਨ ਓਪਨਿੰਗਸ ਆਫ ਦਾ ਬੋਡੀ ਐਂਡ ਆਫਟਰ ਕ੍ਰੋਸਿੰਗ ਆਫਟਰ ਰਾਈਜ਼ਿੰਗ ਅਬਵ ਦਾ ਫਿਜ਼ੀਕਲ ਆਸਟਰ ਐਂਡ ਕੋਜਲ ਕਵਰਸ ਵੈਨ ਵੀ ਰੀਚ ਬਾਰਮ ਦੈਨ ਵੀ ਕਮ ਟੂ ਰੀਅਲਾਈਜ਼ ਦਾ ਡੈਪਥ ਆਫ ਦਾ ਰਿਲੇਸ਼ਨਸ਼ਿਪ ਬਿਟਵੀਨ ਦਾ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਐਂਡ ਦਾ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਵੈਨ ਵੀ ਗੋ ਇਵਨ ਫਰਦਰ ਮੋਰ ਦੈਨ ਵੀ ਕਮ ਟੂ ਰੀਅਲਾਈਜ਼ that what is the reality of the relationship of the master with the disciple only then we come to realize that he is the only one who burns himself in the fire of others pyareo jadon maut aundi hai jinna de naal assi sari zindagi pyar karde hain bade bade keemti waqt jinna di khatir qurban karde hain thaddiyan maarde hain beimaniyan karde hain maut de waqt ਨਾ ਮਾਤਾ ਸਾਥ ਦਿੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਨਾ ਪਿਤਾ ਨਾ ਭੈਣ ਨਾ ਭਰਾ ਨਾ ਸਮਾਜ ਵਾਲੇ ਤੁਸੀਂ ਦੇਖ ਲਓ ਅਗਰ ਅਸੀਂ ਦੁੱਖਾਂ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਘਿਰੇ ਹੋਈਏ ਜੰਗਲ ਦਾ ਟਾਈਮ ਹੋਵੇ ਡਾਕੂ ਕਤਲ ਕਰਨ ਨੂੰ ਖੜੇ ਹੋਣ ਅਗਰ ਉਸ ਵੇਲੇ ਕੋਈ ਸਾਡਾ ਸਾਥੀ ਆ ਜਾਵੇ ਕਿੰਨੀ ਦਿਲ ਨੂੰ ਖੁਸ਼ੀ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਬਿਆਨ ਨਹੀਂ ਕੀਤੀ ਜਾ ਸਕਦੀਗੀ ਇਸੇ ਤਰ੍ਹਾਂ ਇੱਕ ਐਸਾ ਵਕਤ ਜ਼ਿੰਦਗੀ ਦੇ ਉੱਤੇ ਆਉਂਦਾ ਹੈ ਜਦੋਂ ਇਹਨਾਂ ਵਿੱਚੋਂ ਸਾਡਾ ਕੋਈ ਸਾਥ ਨਹੀਂ ਦਿੰਦਾ ਹੁੰਦਾਗਾ ਜਮ ਸਾਹਮਣੇ ਖੜਾ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਔਰ ਉਸ ਦਾ ਜੋ ਡੰਡਾ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਵੀ ਦਿਸਦਾ ਹੈ ਉਸ ਵੇਲੇ ਸਾਡਾ ਸੱਚਾ ਸਾਥੀ ਗੁਰੂ ਪ੍ਰਗਟ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਉਸ ਵੇਲੇ ਜੋ ਆਤਮਾ ਨੂੰ ਖੁਸ਼ੀ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਉਹ ਬਿਆਨ ਨਹੀਂ ਹੋ ਸਕਦੀ ਡੀਅਰ ਵਨਸ ਵੈਨ ਦ ਡੈਥ ਕਮਸ ਐਟ ਦੈਟ ਟਾਈਮ ਨੋ ਵਨ ਕਮਸ ਟੂ ਆਵਰ ਰੈਸਕਿਊ those people whom we used to love a lot those who were our beloved ones and for those we sacrificed so many of our principles we did so many kind of bad deeds to satisfy their needs we deceived others we told lies and we did so many other things just to satisfy the needs of those people and whom we used to understand as our very own no one comes to our rescue at that time when the death happens just imagine if you are caught in the wilderness and if the decoys are chasing you if they come in front of you and if they are ready to kill you at that time if someone who is your real friend appears there and he helps you how much happiness would you feel in the same way when that moment of death comes at that time neither our mother nor our father our son brother wife no one of our relatives come there to help us it is only the master who appears there and he saves us from the beating of the yama so just imagine the happiness which the soul experiences when she sees that the yama is standing she is also seeing the beating of the yama and at that time when the master appears there and saves the soul from all the beating from all the beating of the yama she feels tremendous amount of happiness in her within 
कबीर साहब कहते है जम का ठेंगा बुरा है ओ नहीं सह जाए एक जो साधु मोह मिलया तिन हो लिया बचाए कबीर साहब से दैट द बीटिंग ऑफ द यमा इज वेरी बैड इट इज अनबेरेबल बट आई हैव मेट वन साधु एंड ही हैज सेव्ड मी फ्रॉम दैट बीटिंग कबीरा कहानी पीड़ दे सतगुरु ले छदाए परापुरुली पावनी ते प्रगट होई आए ओ कबीर आई वाज बीइंग ग्राउंड इन द मिल but my sadguru came and he rescued me from that only because of my past karmas i was able to go and meet with my master who saved me from all this hell guru ramdas ji bhi maharaj kande hai paap kamamdeya tera koi na beli ram koi na beli hoye tera sada pachho tame guru ramdas ji maharaj also say that oh sinner you are earning the sins but no one is your friend except the ram and if you do not have the ram with you if you do not have god almighty with you you will have to repent bahar ta assi sirf practice karde hain guru na pyar karan di satsang de vichon ya santan diyan lekhniyan vichon sanu kuch kuch pata lagda hai ki guru aur sikh da ki rishta hai assi is de utte kaim hon di koshish karde hain lekin man sada pale pale sanu dula dinda hai कदे गुमराह कर दंदा है कदे फिर परोसा आ जांदा है ऑन द आउटर लेवल वी आर ओनली ट्राइंग टू डू द प्रैक्टिस टू लव द मास्टर बिकॉज़ फ्रॉम रीडिंग द बुक्स ऑफ द मास्टर फ्रॉम रीडिंग द राइटिंग्स ऑफ द मास्टर वी कम टू नो दैट व्हाट इज द व्हाट इज द मीनिंग ऑफ द रिलेशनशिप ऑफ द डिसाइपल विद द मास्टर बट ऑन द आउटर लेवल समटाइम्स आवर माइंड मेक्स अस लूज द फेथ समटाइम्स ही गिव्स अस द फेथ अदर टाइम्स ही मेक्स अस लूज द फेथ प्यारे हो मैं दसदा हुना है जो असी सारे पढ़ते ला के अंदर गुरु न प्रगट कर लेने हैं गुरु आप सारिया बरकत लैके ऐसे शिश के अंदर बैठ जाता है लेकिन फिर भी अगर कोई कमी है तो गुरु शिष्य का अंदर बड़ा प्यार भरया संवाद हों संवाद जिसने कर लिया उसू पता है के अंदर किन्ना गुरु खुल दिली ना बात करदा है भगत तन्ने ने अंदरली ओ अवस्था बयान कीती के गोपाल तेरा आरता जो जन तुमरी भगत करेंदा तिनके काज सवारता दाल सीधा मंगू कियो हमरा खुशी करे नित जियो अनाज मंगू सत सीका और कर की गेहन चंगी जन तन्ना लेवा मंगी मैं नाहे कीता लबो एक नाम तेरा मैं फबो ओपन आई सेड डियर वंस दैट व्हेन वी रिमूव ऑल दिस कवर्स फ्रॉम ओवर आवर सोल एंड मैनिफेस्ट द मास्टर्स फॉर्म विद इन अस देन वी नो अबाउट द रिलेशनशिप ऑफ द मास्टर विद द डिसाइपल सो व्हेन वी मैनिफेस्ट द फॉर्म ऑफ द मास्टर देन द रियल कन्वर्सेशन between the master and the disciple happens and it is very open it is very heart to heart and those who have had the good fortune of going within and manifesting the form of the master and those who have had the conversation with the master in the inner plane only they know that what it is like it is very open it is very heart to heart bhagat danna had also said that oh lord your artha or your arti is such that all those who have manifested you in their within you do all their work you perform all their acts you give them the pulses the food stuff and all the things which they ask from you you even give them 
the best of the things available. Bhagat Dana says that I sacrifice myself on him who has given me so many things and he also says that I sacrifice myself and I praise that mill of my home who is grinding the wheat and who is making me eat this food and in this way God Almighty is giving me all the riches of the world. Our closing bhajan is on page 123. <coughs> the world is false. Life is destitute. Come, Kripalji. We wait for you. We wait for you. Oh, my giver, we are the sinners. Do not look through our papers. The boat is adrift. Take it across. Come, beloved, listen to the request, listen to the request. True is your love, we have only your support. We are the dirty ones, clean us, clean us. The soul has to do your darshan, but she is embarrassed. Oh, giver, you forgive. You are the forgiver, you are the forgiver. This is the call of a jade. The heartstring is resounding. The world is false. Life is destitute. Come, Kripalji. We wait for you. We wait for you. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 123. <laughs> Teri intezar hai, teri intezar hai. Juta sansar hai, zindagi lachar hai. Aakir paal ji, teri intezar hai, teri intezar hai.
us all. 